Welcome to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch this and all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and be sure to subscribe while you're there. For sermon notes, click the link in the description. Today, we begin a new series called Next Gen Faith, Emerging Leaders Speaking God's Word. Our series kicks off with Will Eastham, Bridgeway's pastoral resident, who shows us that as we seek to grow in love, we must come to church as conduits, not consumers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's sermon. Good day, Bridgeway. It's so good to worship with you today. I'm Dr. David Anderson, founding pastor here at Bridgeway Community Church. What a journey we have been on in our ministry this year. Our theme is to be mature and mighty in Christ. And we just went through an amazing revival last week, and we went through a five-week series called High Five as we talked about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and what it means to be a, a mighty church. Well, one of the things that's so important as a mighty church is not just those of us in today's generation, But God laid on my heart this summer as I was thinking through the sermon schedule for the year, and that is that we have to raise up new leaders and younger leaders. And so today we're going to start a five-week sermon series called Next Generation Faith. Next Generation Faith. And I'm not going to preach the series. I'm just going to oversee it. In fact, I've got five young preachers that are going to bring the word of God over these weeks, and I'll be here, Lord willing, every week uh, to open and close. In fact, after today's speaker, I'm going to do a a prophetic declaration based on the word that the preacher of the hour gives. So who is this preacher? Well, let me tell you this. Today, we're going to hear from Will Easton. I'll tell you just a little bit more about Will in a minute. Next week, Anthony Patton, the week after that, Cody Michener, the week after that, Rachel Taylor, and then to close the series out, uh, Kevin Turpin II. All of these speakers are in their 20s and 30s, and you're going to be blessed to hear how God is going to speak through them. What is God doing? God is saying to us that the older generation must pour into the younger generation so that we can become mature and mighty in Christ as we are raised by spiritual fathers and mothers, but also as they take on the mantle of gracism and the mantle of multicultural ministry together as a family, we want to change and reach the world for Jesus Christ. And kicking us off today, we're going to talk about love next week, leverage the next week, leadership, listening, and then legacy. You're not going to want to miss any of these weeks. So now what about Will Easton? Some of you know some of these speakers. Others of you, this will be the first time. And today, this will be the first time that Will Easton preaches a full message on this stage. But he is no stranger to the Bridgeway House. In fact, He was born and raised right here in the house of Bridgeway Community Church, and he received his call to ministry in high school here. And God has given Will a heart for reaching the unchurched and bridging divides that separate the body of Christ, color, class, culture, and even church tradition. In fact, while he was here in our youth group, he did meet his young wife, Catherine. They got married years later, but they grew up and met in Bridgeway Student Ministries. 
Kathy and Will have now been married for five years, and they have a one-year-old daughter named Selah Eastham. He holds his Bachelor's of Arts and Theology degree from the Moody Bible Institute and a Master's of Divinity degree from North Park Theological Seminary, both in Chicago, Illinois. He serves our church as a full-time pastoral resident here at Bridgeway, where he is receiving the mentorship and has become an apprentice under the clergy team here. In addition, you should know this, and this is a cool announcement, and that is this. Will is overseeing, and along with leaders, are starting something in the new year of January 2021, something we envision will continue to grow young and emerging leaders for the future. He's starting the Gracism Academy for Young Leaders the Gracism Academy for Young Leaders. It starts in January 2022, actually. This is an academy that's a six-month learning experience intended to help about eight to 12 leaders and artists in our community as we help grow them up and leverage their gifts so the spirit of gracism and multicultural ministry uh, can continue on, not only in this church, but really equipping them for ministry in the world wherever they are, leaders in the marketplace or leaders within the church. So I'm excited about this. You can get more information online so you can apply. This focuses on young people who are from age 18 to age 28. I'll kick the program off and I'll end it, but it's a six-month learning experience that is going to be amazing. It takes an entire day on a Saturday, and you have to apply, and uh, there are scholarships available, but it'll be a select hand-picked uh, group of uh, young men and women. So I'm so excited for the Gracism Academy for Young Leaders. Most of all, I'm excited about the Word of God that uh, Will Easton is going to bring you. So get your hearts, get your Bibles, and get your minds ready for Will Easton. Will, would you come up on the stage and let me just cover you with a, a prayer of, of blessing. God bless you. So good to have you here. So good to be here. Lord Jesus, right now as my brother brings the word, would you speak to my heart, speak to our heart, and may thousands of people all throughout the world be ministered to as the man of the hour teaches us about love. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Together, everyone all over said, amen and amen. I present to some, introduce to others, Mr. Will Easton. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Anderson. Thank Please you so much as well to the elders. January 2022 You know, it's, it's such a special thing to be able to come back and to serve in the house that raised you. Uh, so I don't take your poor, I don't take your empowerment for granted, and I'm so excited to kick off this series, Next Generation Faith. So we're living in a world that is hungry for change. We are hungry for change. Do you hear that? Do you hear that cry for change coming from your news feed, coming from your Instagram, coming from your own household, or maybe even your own lips? Do you feel the ground shifting beneath our feet? COVID, it totally disrupted our sense of stability, didn't it? And I think most of us, we still haven't really settled into that new normal that we were told would be coming soon. In these past 18 months, many of us have been moved by this disruption to clarify our values, 
to clarify our ambitions, to clarify our lifestyles. And for some of us, that's moved us to move states or to move jobs, maybe to move churches, maybe to move into or out of a relationship. The ground is shifting. What shifts have your life undergone in this past year? What shifts have occurred in your life this past year? And like me, I'm sure that you're wondering, when the dust settles 3, 13, 30 years from now, what will our new normal look like? What will the change be that comes out of all of this? But I want to ask us a different question today. With all of these different moves happening, I want us to ask ourselves, what is the movement that I want to come out of all of these moves? What is the change? What is the movement that I long to see unleashed from all of these moves occurring in our life and in our world? I've got a follow-up question. Are you ready for it? What shifts need to occur in your life for the movement that you long to see to be unleashed? What are the shifts that need to occur in your life, in my life, for the movement that we long to see to be unleashed, to become actuality? Well, I'm here to say this morning that the Lord Jesus, he desires to see a movement too. He longs for a movement too. Jesus longs to see a movement of love unleashed in your life. He longs to see a movement of love unleashed in the church. He longs to see a movement of love unleashed in our world. And this movement, this movement of love that Jesus wants to see unleashed, it's marked by three shifts. A shift in mindset, a shift in motive, and a shift in mode. Did you catch that? The shift that Jesus wants to see unleashed, the shifts that Jesus wants to see bring about a movement of love are a shift in mindset, a shift in motive, and a shift in mode. So for the next few minutes, we're going to look together at an ancient document, at a 2,000-year-old letter written by the Apostle Paul. And this letter was, was written to a diverse but divided church plant that Paul had started in the city of Corinth, a major metropolitan area in ancient Near Eastern society, ancient Greco-Roman culture. And specifically, we're going to look at what we identify as chapters 12 through 14 of this letter, where, where Paul speaks to the shifts that this church needed to make and that we need to make to unleash this movement of love in our time. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, please open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look together at how Paul calls us to make a shift in our mindset, to move from a mindset of, we, of me 
to a mindset of we. Starting in verse 12, Paul writes, Just as a body, the one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So Paul says in the church, what God is doing is he's bringing together all of these diverse individual members around the person of Jesus. And these are people whose lives would have never intersected in society if they hadn't first become interconnected in Christ. And we see this from the very beginning of the Jesus movement, when Jesus brings together the most random and messy group of people to be his disciples. I mean, when you think about it, bringing together a tax collector like Matthew and bringing together a social justice warrior, we could say, a a zealot like Simon, these were two people coming from totally different points of view. These were political enemies, and yet Jesus brings them together around himself. And what was it that Jesus came to them preaching? He came to them preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. The word repent in Greek, metanoia, it literally means a change in mindset. A change in mindset. In other words, Jesus is calling us to change the implicit, often unconscious lens through which we're viewing our lives. Jesus confronts us with the question, Who is really Lord of your life? Who is really Lord of your life? And whose kingdom are you really seeking? Whose kingdom are you seeking? And you know, most of us, if we were honest, I think that we would answer me and mine. I'm the king of my kingdom. I'm the Lord of my life. And I'm seeking to build my kingdom here on earth. Jesus, he calls us to shift our mindset and to see our lives as deeply interconnected one with another. To see that our stories have been skillfully interwoven into the bigger and the better story of reconciliation and redemption that God is telling. But the opposite of a mindset of interconnectedness is the mindset of individualism. So like us, you know, the early Christians, they were tempted by the mindset of individualism too. They were tempted by the mindset that my happiness and my health are found in my freedom to pursue unlimited options without any commitments that constrain me or tie me down. And like our culture... Corinthian society was totally geared towards this pursuit of unlimited options and variety of pleasure. With new entertainment centers, new shopping centers, new restaurants, new brothels, and new kinds of spirituality that were constantly springing up. And what can happen, if we aren't careful, is that the mindset of individualism starts to get brought with us from the culture into the church. 
And everything gets viewed then through the lens of my own return on investment, of me rather than we. That was what happened to the Corinthians. And Paul critiques this mindset in the church body by comparing it metaphorically to the human body, where no, no one part in the human body can say to the other, you don't need me. And on the other hand, no one part can say to the other, I don't need you. Look at this. Look at how Paul points this out in verse 15. He says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Do you have a mindset of you don't need me? I mean, if you were honest, do you have a mindset that if I don't come to church, if I disengage, if I ghost on my life group, if I ghost on my ministry team, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect anyone. You know, sometimes I think that we're tempted to treat the church like we treat a subscription service. You know, so if I cancel my subscription to Netflix tomorrow, Netflix doesn't care. I mean, they might care a little bit if like a thousand people did it, but just Will Eastum, I mean, they're fine without me, right? But the church isn't a subscription service. We're a body. We're a movement. We're a people, an interconnected community. Or how about this? Do you have a mindset of I don't need you? I've got my Bible. I've got my favorite TikTok pastor. I've got my favorite worship playlist. I've got my friends and my family. I don't really need the church community to grow mature and mighty in Christ. I don't need you. Paul wants to tell us that when we say, you don't need me, we're depriving others of the gift that the Holy Spirit wants to give them through us. And on the other hand, Paul wants to say, when we say to others, when we say to the church, I don't need you, we're depriving ourselves. We're forfeiting the gift that God wants to bestow on us through them. Because this, this give and take, this is how God designed the body to prosper. Look at how Paul points this out in verse 24. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, Verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. In verse 26, this is so key, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. But living in a community where you actually celebrate somebody else's success. And not just like, oh, that's awesome, but like, you actually rejoice with them. 
or to be a part of a community where you willingly enter into and share in somebody else's suffering. Not just thoughts and prayers, but you actually share in their suffering. That's hard. From a cultural standpoint, that's not normal. It feels hard to surrender our kingdom and our will so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven through the church. And that's why love, love moves us to make a second shift. And that's a shift in motive. And this is a shift from self-centered to Christ-centered. From self-centered to Christ-centered. And in many ways, my brothers and sisters, this shift is probably the most crucial And it's also the most crucifying. It is the most painful. But ultimately, it's the most freeing. So flip over a page with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And look at how Paul describes this radical shift from self-centered to Christ-centered. In verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Like us today, you know, there was so much confusion in the Corinthian church and in Corinthian culture on what it actually means to be a loving person. I mean, in just case in point, you know, one dude in the church was sleeping with his stepmom. So if that's not confusing, you know, I don't think it can get much more confusing than that. So Paul's like, okay, I need to define what real love is for you guys. But first, what he sees he needs to do is he needs to clear the ground. So first, what Paul's going to do is he's going to deconstruct our human definitions of love to clear the ground and show us what love is, first by revealing to us what love is not. And he goes after self-centered love when it's working at its best. Self-centered, fleshly love when it's working at its best in charity and in the church. I mean, did you notice that in verse 3? Sort of the crescendo of this this portion of, of chapter 13 where Paul says, if I give all that I possess to the poor, and if I give over my body to hardship, or maybe your Bible says, to the flames. In other words, Paul's saying, if I devote my life to justice, and if I pour myself out for the most vulnerable, if I even sacrifice my own life for the sake of the faith, but do not have love, I gain nothing. How many of us know that we can come to every church activity and we can participate in every service and burn ourselves out faithfully volunteering in every ministry? And in our heart of hearts, it's still all about us. It's about us wanting to feel like good Christians. It's about us wanting 
our fire insurance for when we get to heaven more than we actually want Christ, more than we actually want to feel his presence and to help others be in his presence. We can devote our money and our lives to the kingdom and still not love King Jesus. We can say that we love God while then going and acting unkind and uncaring towards the very people Jesus told us to love and to serve. Paul confronts self-centered love in the church. And maybe you've, you've seen this in the church. You've seen this kind of self-centered Christianity in the culture, and you've grown bitter. Maybe you've even walked away from the faith altogether or deconstructed your faith altogether. I think Paul wants to speak to you too. Paul wants us to know that on the other hand, we can pour ourselves out for the most significant social causes of our time. I mean, we can live with complete sacrificial service among the very poorest of the poor, and deep down, it's still all about us. It's about us wanting to feel just, about us wanting to appease our guilt and our sense of privilege, about us wanting to be loved in return. We can devote our lives to building a more just and a more loving society. And in the process, we can damn and demonize everyone who doesn't get on board or seems to get in the way of that vision. But now that Paul has cleared the ground, that he's defined for us what love is not, what is it? What is real love? Look with me at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. To be in the presence of a perfect love like this, it's almost overwhelming. It's like standing before a blazing sun. It's so good. It's so perfect. It's so transforming. It's so holy. I mean, seriously, a love that always protects, that always trusts, that always hopes, that always perseveres, that never fails. It's like, Paul, I can't love like that. This isn't human. And I imagine that Paul says to us, I know. I know. But what if love became a human? What if love took on flesh and dwelt among us? What if love paid the ultimate price to remove every obstacle to itself? My friends, love has a name, and his name is Jesus. And if you trust him, 
if you let him, he will make you this loving here and perfected in eternity. He will make you part of his movement of love, his body here on earth. You know, I talk to a lot of people, especially a lot of young people, who struggle with the cross. I mean, they struggle with the doctrine of substitutionary sacrifice. Like, if God is love, why would God have to substitute and sacrifice his life in exchange for mine? I just can't understand that. But here's the truth, friends. All love, all real transformative love is cross-shaped. One writer puts it this way. He says, you have never loved a broken person. You have never loved a guilty person. You have never loved a hurting person except through substitutionary sacrifice. And I know some of you are living this right now. You are experiencing this firsthand this week. Because you can't walk with someone in their darkest hour without that same darkness coming on you and disrupting your own life. Because you can't stand up for the vulnerable and the oppressed without becoming vulnerable to oppression yourself. Because you can't forgive someone who has hurt you and betrayed you deeply without it costing you something. All love is cross-shaped. And this is the kind of costly love that motivated God to pay the ultimate price, to substitute himself as the ultimate sacrifice for your sin and for mine. And that's why self-centered love, at its core, it's too limited to start a movement. Because it's limited to the people that I find worthy, the people that I'm personally willing to sacrifice for. And even then it's hard. Even with the people I love the most, it's still a sacrifice. It's still hard. I can't match the level of love and the purity of motive that Jesus desires, that kind of giving tree, self-giving love. But Christ-centered love, that has no limits. Because it's motivated by the infinite beauty and majesty and worthiness of Jesus. It's limitless because he's at the center of our lives, moving and loving and living through us. That's the movement that Jesus longs to see unleashed in your life. That's the movement that Jesus died for. That he could cleanse us of our sins. Friends, not just so that we could die and go to heaven. That is an incredible benefit. I praise God for that. But first and foremost, so that we could be pure vessels that his love and his life can flow through to others. Now and for all of eternity. So what in your life needs to shift? What needs to be moved so that, 
so that Christ's love, his life, can move more freely through you. Sometimes, and the Lord put this on my heart, sometimes it's a name that we've internalized. It could be fat, it could be stupid, it could be ugly, it could be lazy or unworthy. It blocks us from receiving God's love. It blocks us from receiving the name that he wants to give us. And friend, if you let him, he will take that name from you and give you a new name. Maybe it's a habit that isn't helpful and it isn't holy, but you can't stop it. Maybe it's a relationship or a circle of friends that you don't need to abandon, but you kind of need some distance from. You need to temporarily move out of because they're holding you back from your pursuit of Jesus. And I just want to say that if you're being abused, the most loving thing for you, for your family, even for your abuser, is for you to get help. And that might look like temporarily removing yourself from that abusive situation. We want to help walk with you through that. So please, if that's you, reach out to us. We'd love to walk with you through that process. Now Paul, he turns in his letter now to the practical application that he wants to give the Corinthians. After all of this, he says, when you make all of these shifts in your mindset and your motive, your life becomes released into a new mode, into a new mode of being that transforms your work, that transforms your worship, that transforms your relationships. Look with me at this shift in mode that Paul describes in chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. This is incredible. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Did you catch that in verse 1? Now, there's, there's so much that we could unpack in all of these chapters. They're so rich. But did you catch that Paul says, follow the way of love, the way of love. See, friend, when we shift in our mindset from me to we, when we shift in our motive from self-centered to Christ-centered, we're released into a new mode of being, where love is no longer just an action or a feeling, but it's a way of life. It's a mode that we're engaged in wherever we are. Our attitude and our affections don't just change, but our ambitions change. And that's one of the most powerful changes of all. In the Corinthian church, Paul specifically calls them to shift from showing up to church as consumers to showing up as conduits. You know, one major problem that the Corinthian church had was that when they gathered, each person was taking on the mode of a consumer. They were focused on their own edification, their own encouragement, their own strengthening, their own worship experience, their own upbuilding. 
And these things aren't bad. Paul, Paul does want these things for us. The Lord Jesus wants these things for us. But notice the reason, the rationale that Paul gives for specifically pursuing the gift of prophecy. In verses 3 through 4, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Paul says to the Corinthians, be people who show up to build up. Be people who show up to build up. Rather than showing up places with the ambition to build up our own self, our own identity, to build up our own business, our own ministry, our own platform, what would happen if our burning ambition was to build up others and to build up the kingdom of God? Shift into the mode of a conduit. Somebody whose body, whose presence bridges the divide between heaven and earth. Bridges the gap between God's will in heaven and its fulfillment in the earth. I mean, what would happen if every day you were to show up to your job, if you were to show up for your family, if you were to show up for your neighbors, if you were to show up at school, even at parties, and you were to shift into the mode of a conduit, of a bridge builder between heaven and earth. Can you imagine if every person who walks through these doors or who logs in online, if every person who comes to church takes the mode of a conduit? Not just the people on stage, not just the preacher, not just the people who are volunteering that Sunday. But if, if when we came to church, if every one of us asked Holy Spirit, is there anyone you want me to see and to greet today? Is there any word of encouragement from the scriptures or from the message that you specifically want me to share with someone after the service? Is there anyone you want me to pray for, maybe even to regularly commit to pray for, and maybe they'll never even know it? Is there anyone that you want me to build a relationship with or to bless financially? I just want to say, if you're an 18 to 28-year-old who longs to see a movement of love unleashed in your life, apply for the Gracism Academy. This isn't just a shameless plug. It's because this is what we're after. And we're going to walk together and engage in these three shifts together. Bridgeway, for 30 years, I've seen you be this conduit. I've seen you be this bridge builder between heaven and earth, between people and people. And I think we saw it displayed powerfully during last weekend's 30-hour revival. And we saw people fully engaged, showing up as conduits, praying for one another, serving one another, contending for God's presence and God's power to be unleashed in our life and in our church. 
the Lord did move. And he's moved us. So let's keep making the shifts that we need to make. And let's pray that these moves will turn into a movement. A movement that transforms our community, our culture, and our world with the saving love of Christ. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. God bless you, Will Easton. Thank you for that word. And uh, I want to give a prophetic declaration based on what you just preached. And thank you for teaching us 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. Were you blessed by that word? Were you challenged by that word? Uh, you should be. So let me declare a few things. First of all, I declare in the name of Jesus that Bridgeway would be a movement of love that will be released through this church to the rest of the world. I declare that we will be a church culture of we and not pursue an individualistic mindset where church is all about me. I declare that we are a Christ-centered church that loves all people within and outside of the church with the power of Christ flowing in and through us. I declare that we are a church of prophecy or prophetic declarations for the purpose of edifying the church where people show up to build up. That we will be a church where Bridgeway partners view themselves as conduits of God's love and not just consumers to get what they desire. And then this last one is the one I, where I'm going to, this is not planned, but I'm going to invite Will Eastham's father, who's here, to come up to the stage right now. And as you see this father and this son, I want to make this declaration. And God bless you, Frank. You've got you've to feel just so full of joy and pride in a godly way because your son is up here speaking. In fact, can I take just 30 seconds and ask you how you feel right now? Well, it's powerful uh, as I was sitting there to hear the word of God come out of his mouth in such a way that inspired, encouraged, and motivated me to a movement mm -hmm. and to examine things in my own life. Almost a swap from father to son to son to father. Yeah and just watching how God could work in his life to, to shift my mindset from viewing him as a son, but as a pastor. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing, and to have a multi-generational church. You know, we're not just a church of young people or a church of older people or a church of middle, uh, you know, age people or black or white or Asian, Hispanic. We are a multi-generational church. And so, finally, before I throw this uh, part of the service back over to Pastor Sandy Pope, I declare that Bridgeway will be a place where generations of faith through Bridgeway will continue beyond Will's children, Selah, to her generation beyond that and the next generation as it has come from Frank and Karen to Will 
to Sarah in the alley, now to Selah and to others to come. And from my parents to my generation, to my children, to their generation, that Bridgeway would be a multi-generational church that will continue to pass on the movement of love and generosity way beyond our lives on the earth. And we say this and declare this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc slash T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.